It is a great day to be in the Lord's house. Let me remind you that next week at this time, we'll, everybody's coming together for one worship service as our choir will be presenting their cantata. And then after we'll be uh, continuing in our series on what's in a name. So you want to be here for the 17th. And then on the 24th, we'll have a joint worship service again in here at 1115. It'll be a great time as Josh and the praise team will be leading us in that time of worship. And then at 6 o'clock on the 24th, we'll be having our, our Christmas Eve service. Uh, it's a great service we've planned out this year. Just going to be scripture and song, and we'll get to have the Lord's Supper together as we reflect upon that. It'll be a tremendous time. Uh, bring your friends, bring your enemies, bring, bring your loved ones, uh, bring your in-laws, your outlaws, uh, all those individuals, okay? It'll be a great time when we come together as a family of believers to really remember what Christmas is all about. As you know, I've been preaching through uh, the Christmas story, kind of looking at the names given to our Lord around the Christmas celebration, uh, around that time. Uh, the reasons we've been looking at, at the names is because it helps us better understand the meaning of Christmas. By understanding the names, it kind of gives us hope, and it kind of gives us a reason to get up in the morning when we really begin to understand what's in a name. And so today we continue in that series as we learned uh, uh, some of the names that were given to, to our Lord just did not catch on. We talked about this last week that the name Emmanuel, <clears throat> even though it's, it's in the Bible and he would be called Emmanuel, we never find anywhere in the gospel narratives that Jesus ever called himself Emmanuel. We never find anywhere in the gospel or in the New Testament that anybody else called him by the name Emmanuel. It just didn't catch on. But the name we're going to look at today, it caught on. It was a name that Jesus recognized that he accepted. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. I know, just one verse, but it's, a, it's so full of significance. Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, as we look at these words in, in, the, in the pages of Matthew under the heading, his name is Nazarene. His name is Nazarene. Matthew writes this, And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. This word seemed to catch on. This is something that uh, Jesus many times said, I'm from Nazareth. He, he identified with this name Jesus of Nazareth. Many people called him Jesus of Nazareth. Other individuals recognized it, even in the book of Acts. The New Testament believers, the first church, was called the sect of the Nazarenes. So this was a name that, that caught on. So let me try to explain the significance of this name Nazarene as we, we delve into it a little bit. The first thing you're going to see about this name, this name refers to a place. It refers to a place. Jesus was brought up in the town of Nazareth. We know that he was born in Bethlehem, but after a brief time in Bethlehem, the angel of the Lord came and told Joseph to flee to Egypt. And so for 10, 11, 12 years, he was raised in Egypt. But after he left Egypt, he went and lived in a town of Nazareth, as it says in verse 23, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Nazareth is a town in the district of Galilee. It's a little town kind of insignificant. Uh, today, it has about 10,000 people in population. Back in the biblical times, during New Testament times, 
It had between five to 6,000 people. It's located 55 miles north of Jerusalem, north of the Sea of Galilee, and it's kind of one of those out-of-the-way towns uh, is the way it is. Now, it's an, it's an interesting town because it really didn't have a good reputation. Uh, it was, uh, had lots of vices uh, that came through the town, as we, what we know about it. It's along the trade route where they would trade between Africa and Asia because, you know, Israel kind of forms that land bridge. So everything passed through. And so because it was kind of a trade route, many merchants would come to the town of Nazareth and they would set up shop in the town of Nazareth to, shell, to sell their merchandise, you know, jewelry, silk, uh, uh, fabric, uh, rugs. They were all sold right there in Nazareth. And so when these people would come and set up shop in the town of Nazareth, they would bring with them their vices. They would bring with them their lifestyle. They would bring with them their, their culture. And sometimes it was not conducive uh, to, a, to an individual growing up in that town. Not only was it a, a, a merchant town, a, uh, a, a place for the market, it was also a military town. Because it was a military town, prostitution, slavery, and drug trafficking was normal for the city. It was a thing, if, if that kind of practice corrupted the homes. It corrupted the families in that region. I kind of understand a little bit about this. Many of you know I served in the Navy. And I can't speak for every military town, but I can speak for the Navy towns. Uh, I did my uh, training at uh, North Chicago, which is about 30 miles north of Chicago, thus North Chicago, at Great Lakes Training Center. And right outside Great Lakes Training Center was a row of buildings. Um, they cater to Navy people, okay? Uh, I'm not going to get into all the details. Just let your imagination run wild, okay, and it won't be wild enough. All right, so that's what it, it can't. That's what it is. Every every Navy base I ever went to, there was always what we called the gut. It was the things that just it just catered to military personnel, specifically sailors. Uh, that was true in Charleston, South Carolina. It was true in Norfolk, Virginia. It was true in San Diego. Uh, and of course, then when you get overseas and roll to Spain, Naples, Italy, they all catered to the the ships and to the Navy personnel. Uh, it was. Uh, that was the kind of town that Nazareth was. It was a military town. And military towns attract certain things about it. So here's the truth for us to grasp. It's not so important the kind of place where you were brought up. It doesn't matter where you are from. It's what's on the inside that matters. It's what's on the inside of you that dictates what's going to happen in your life. We would have expected that Jesus would have been brought up in, in, in no place like this. Who would ever thought that Jesus would be brought up in Nazareth? I mean, he's the Savior of the world. He is the Son of the Creator. He is the Savior of the world. Who would ever thought that he would be raised in such a place? You would think that God the Father would want to separate him from such corruption. But what did God do? God placed his Son right smack dab in the middle of the corruption. Right smack dab in the middle where there was prostitution, where there was slavery, where there was drug dealing, where there was lying and cheating and stealing going on all around him. That's where he placed him. 
Why did, he make, why did he let him be born in Jerusalem or be raised in Jerusalem? Why not? Why could he be raised in Jerusalem? That was the center of, of religious thought. He could have been raised there and he could, have, he could have learned from the scribes. He could have learned from the Pharisees, all the religious scholars. He could have debated with them and all that. Why not there? Why couldn't he have been raised in Rome? Rome was the center of law. That's where all law originated in Rome and was passed down. He could have been a great law bearer. He could have been there and transformed society through the law. Or why couldn't he have been raised in Athens? Athens was the center of philosophical thought. He could have debated with the philosophers of the day. You know, those that were students of Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and all those guys. Why couldn't he have been raised there? Here's the point. God does not have to work the way that we think God should work. God doesn't have to do things the way that we think God should do things. God has an unusual way, or really an extraordinary way, of taking the little and the ordinary and the despised and the outcast and doing something phenomenal with it. Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth, and he bore that name for his entire life. He was Jesus from Nazareth. He was a Nazarene. What's the application for us? How do we take this little event, this little name, and how do we apply it to us? There's a tendency going around in Christian circles today that we as Christians ought to withdraw from society. We ought to withdraw from the influences of the world around us because it might corrupt us. It might pervert us. It might challenge us. It might lead us astray. And so the tendency is that we are to separate from the world so that we're not influenced by the world. But when I think about what God the Father did for his own son, and he placed him right smack dab in the middle of a culture that was counter everything that God was for, I wonder. I wonder if maybe we haven't got it wrong. That maybe instead of separating from the world, we're supposed to be part of the world so that what? We can be salt. We can be light. We can be an influence in the world instead of the world influencing us. But people say there's certain places you can't go, certain things you can't see, certain things you can't do because you've got to be separate from the world. And I wonder if that's what the incarnation of Jesus is really all about. The incarnation of God. Instead, what did it? He came to sinful man. He lived among sinful man. Why? To show them a better way. Perhaps that's the message for us to gain this season as we think about Jesus of Nazareth. He was raised in a place that we would least expect him to be raised. He says, he will be called a Nazarene. So that name Nazareth refers to a place. But look at, the, look at verse 23 again. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. So was, filled what was, so, what was, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. That leads us to the second point. It not only refers to a place, this name refers to a promise. Let me point something out to you about this phrase. You would never find anywhere in the Old Testament that Jesus is called Nazarene. Matter of fact, the town of Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. Nowhere. It's mentioned 30 times in the pages of the New Testament. So what's going on here? 
How could the scripture prophesy that he'd be from Nazareth when Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament? Did, did, they, did they get it wrong? Did the writers of the New Testament, did the Holy Spirit make a mistake in this passage? So let me try to explain to you what's going on here without bogging you down with a bunch of details. Okay, look at uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Let me tell you what's going on. The Magi come from the east and they're looking for the place where this king has been born. They've seen his star and they have followed it and they came to the place. And so they're seeking out where is this king to be born. So they go to Judy, Jerusalem, the natural place for kings to be born. Because they're supposed to be born in, in palaces, in, in seats of government, not in little towns of bread. Bethlehem, house of bread. Why? And they go to Jerusalem and ask, where is he to be born, this king of the Jews? Look at what it says in verse 5. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. The religious leaders looked it up. They said, hey, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. The prophet he's talking about here is Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It was a prophecy. So the religious leaders knew where Jesus would be born. Let's skip down to verse 15. We know that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that Joseph came to, uh, uh, the angel came to Joseph in the dream and said, flee to Egypt away from this place. And so it says in verse 15, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. The prophet's reference there is the book of Hosea. We will be looking at Hosea next year as we're going to go preach through the book of Hosea on God's amazing love as revealed in the, in the book of Hosea. He's talking about the Hosea the prophet. Now skip down to verse 17. The reason he was told to leave uh, Bethlehem at the time is because Herod was going to kill all the children. So Herod made it his point. He killed all the Jewish boys two years and under. I mean, this is a guy that was... <clears throat> he wasn't going to take any chances. So he killed all of them two years on down. Then it says in verse 17, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. So he said the prophet Micah, the prophet Hosea, the prophet Jeremiah. They all said these things fulfilled what was said in those prophecies. Now we come to verse 23, and it says, was said through the prophets. Prophets is plural. Prophet in 5, 15, and 17 is singular. <clears throat> What's going on here? What we have taking place is, is what we call a composite. A, a composite of predictions about the coming of Jesus Christ. So what Matthew is doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's going back and looking at all the Old Testament prophecies and he said, because of all the Old Testament prophecies that talk about the coming of Jesus, he's going to be called a Nazarene. He's going to be called a Nazarene. Isaiah, the prophet, provides the best understanding for us about what this means as he reveals the attitude that the people are going to have for Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says this, He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Two times in that one verse, it says he will be despised, or he is despised. Two times. So Isaiah is writing this 700 years before the birth of the Christ, and Isaiah the prophet said he's going to be despised. Do you know what people despised in the time of Jesus? Nazareth. They despised anybody from the town of Nazareth. They just could not tolerate these people. When they said Jesus from Nazareth, they weren't giving him a compliment. Uh, they weren't say, uh, they were not praising him for his upbringing. It was a criticism that they had of him. It was a term of contempt. People from Nazareth were, were ridiculed. People from Nazareth were rejected. Today, it's like, well, you know, he grew up in Podunk. It's not a compliment. He grew up in Podunk. Nathaniel kind of wraps it up. When Nathaniel heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, what did Nathaniel say? Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You see, Nazareth was, was a place of contempt. He, he was already showing his racism, his prejudice, by saying there can't be anything good coming out of Nazareth. Let me give you a modern-day equivalent. And this is not a political statement. It's just a commentary of life, okay? We have people that live in the Northeast and people that live on the West Coast, or some people say the Left Coast, the East Coast and the Left Coast, all right? And they have a problem with people they call in Middle America. They're not sophisticated. They don't under, they're not cultured. They're just Southern people, and they don't know anything. They're simple people. Now, we say, yeah, yeah, that's a source of pride. To them, it's a place of contempt. They don't know, they don't understand it. They're not, they're not refined. This is the idea. This is what's going on. Especially people from Jerusalem would look at people uh, from Nazareth and they would make fun of them. Why? City people versus country people. Uh, urban people versus rural people. This is what was going on in the time of Jesus. John describes it very well in John 1 verse 11. He says this, Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. Jesus came to his own people, and they would not receive him. He was despised. He was rejected by men. He was a Nazarene. Think about when Jesus was born. He was born in a stable, in a stall. Now, because I'm not really a country person, but I've lived in the country. I've been in some stables. You know what? They don't really smell that good. Anybody else? Is it, is, am I speaking the truth? Anybody else know? Anybody know anything about stables? Yeah, they don't smell good, do they? Yeah, especially if the animals have kind of been in there. Uh, they don't smell good. Couldn't you find room for a mom who's pregnant and going to have a baby? You know, isn't there somewhere you could put them in your guest room or put them up in, in, a, in a hotel, hotel, the Holiday Inn somewhere? It doesn't make any sense. Why? He's despised. He's rejected. Why? They're from Nazareth. They're from Nazareth. We don't want those people here. They talk funny. They say y'all. Yeah, they, speak, they speak funny. These people are not accepted. That's where he was born. Think about when the Magi came. The Magi come to Jerusalem looking for the, the, the king. The religious leaders knew where he was born. 
The political leaders knew where he was born, but not one religious leader would come and check it and see if it's true. Not one political leader would come and see if it really was true that a king was born in Bethlehem. Not one. Why? He's despised. He's rejected because he's not from them. He's not one of these individuals. He was from Nazareth. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he made the announcement in his hometown of Nazareth. Luke chapter 4 talks about that. It says that he came into his, the, 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 home, the local synagogue. You know, hometown boys made good is kind of what it is. He's 30 years old, and he's come in. He's kind of made it big. His popularity has come. And he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he begins reading the scroll of Isaiah. At the end of reading it, he rolls up the scroll. He says, today, and you're hearing, these words have been fulfilled. The people are amazed. Isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? You know, where does he get these words? And then Jesus says a few other things. And then what do they want to do? They run him out of town. They want to kill him. Matter of fact, it says they take him to the edge of the cliff to throw him over the cliff. But the Bible says Jesus walked through the crowd and they didn't harm him. Why was that? Because he's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. He's despised. He's rejected. He came into his own. And they did not receive him in any way. Nazarene. It's a title that he wore all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. What was it when he died? What did they put over his description? All, in every language spoken at the time. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Pilate wasn't giving Jesus a compliment. In many ways, it was a barb. It was, it was a stick at the, the Israelites. It's saying, here's your king. He's from Nazareth. Is that the best you can do? Is that the best you have to offer? He was making a joke the whole time. But it's a name that Jesus wore all the way to the cross. So what's the point? Jesus was sent into the world even though God knew he would be despised. God sent Jesus into the world even though he knew that he would be rejected, even though they, he knew that he'd be criticized, even though he knew that he'd be put to death. But he still came. Since God did not withhold his own son from us, should we not, with, should we not withhold from God ourselves? If God didn't withhold God, how can we withhold ourselves back from God? If God sent Jesus into the world, even though he'd be despised and rejected and eventually killed, should we not, in turn, be willing to be despised, be rejected, be killed? Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you to the world. As the world has rejected me, as the world has despised me, as the world has been critical of me, I'm sending you to a world who's going to despise you, they're going to reject you, they're going to criticize you. Should we not be willing to do the same thing just as our Father was willing to do with Jesus himself? We are to offer ourselves in service to God even though we know will be criticized, rejected, and despised. So the name Nazarene replies to a place. It refers to a promise. 
but this name also refers to a person. When it says he will be called a Nazarene, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus knew that he was never intended to stay in Nazareth. He knew that he had come into this world to die on the cross. You miss the message of Christmas if you stop at the cradle. You miss the message. You see, you have to go from the cradle to the cross. To really understand the message of Christmas, you've got to go to the cross. God took the one who was despised and grew up in the worst of locations, and he literally changed the world with this one. Listen to the way that Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God chose Jesus, the despised and the rejected, to change the world. He chose him to pave the way. The very thing that the world rejected, God made the foundation of life. God chose Jesus to lead us into a relationship with God. He chose Jesus to save the world. Jesus is the reason for the season. I know it sounds cliche, but it's the truth. Without Jesus of Nazareth, we don't really understand the Christmas story. Without the one called Nazarene, we miss out on the Christmas story. God does not look at things the way that people looks at things. He just doesn't do it. He doesn't operate that way. And as I said previously, this is a name that Jesus took all the way to the cross. Jesus of Nazareth. But you know what else he took to the cross? He took all of our sins. Jesus of Nazareth bore all of our sins. They killed him. They buried him. Pilate probably said, I can hear it now, man, I'm glad we're through with that Nazarene. He was a headache. I can see the religious people saying, man, I am glad we got rid of that Jesus of Nazareth. What a pain in the you-know-what he has been. They were glad to get rid of him. They killed him. They buried him. They put him in a coffin. Not literally, but it fits with my alliteration. The cradle, the cross, the coffin. You see, you don't really understand until you get to the third day. They were silenced for three days. The angels did not sing. There was silence for three days. But then the story tells us that on the third day, Jesus left the tomb and he was risen to life. The story is told of two disciples walking along the Emmaus Road. They were back, going back home and they were talking and then it says that Jesus mysteriously appeared to them walking on the road. They did not know it was Jesus. But Jesus walked along beside them and they were talking about things. And Jesus said, what are y'all talking about? He said, y'all, by the way. Because he remember, he's from, he's a, he's a country boy. 
Now, what are y'all talking about? And they said, we're talking about the things that happened in Jerusalem. What things? Where you been, Jesus? Where you been, dude? And they said, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified, but now the rumor is he's been raised and we can't find his body. And at that moment, Jesus opens their eyes and they begin to understand everything clearly. And no longer is he the dead Jesus of Nazareth. He's now the risen Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Another story is told of Jesus as making his way through Jericho. And there's a man on the side of the road called Bartimaeus. Literally, it's a son of Timaeus is what it is. But Bartimaeus is what we call him. And he, he's blind. He's been blind all his life. And he, he hears the commotion going on. So he cries out, hey, what's going on? And people say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing this way. Jesus of Nazareth is coming through. And he goes, man, this is my chance. I'm so excited. I've heard about this guy. I've heard about Jesus of Nazareth. I've heard that he makes the deaf to hear. I've heard that he makes the lame to walk. I've heard that he makes the blind to see. This is my chance. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals him. And for the first time, the Bible says he saw all things clearly because he opened his eyes. Jesus of Nazareth restored his sight. This morning, Jesus the Nazarene wants to be part of your life. And if you will come to Jesus of Nazareth, and you will come to him and admit your failures, admit how you messed up, admit that you've fallen short of God's plan for your life. And you say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I need you to pour your life into me, and I accept your payment for my sins. Come and be my Savior and be my Lord. The minute you say that, you know what will happen? God will open your eyes to spiritual truth, and you will see all things clearly if you respond to Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus of Nazareth? What are you going to do this morning? In a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. We've told you the story. We've told you what takes place. What are you going to do with Jesus the Nazarene? Are you going to stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could save a sinner such as you. We want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you need to receive Jesus as Lord of your life, as your Savior. We want to give you that opportunity this morning. We'll be here at the front. I'll be here at the front. Jeremy's going to be here. Marcy's going to make her way down. We're here for you, folks. We're here. Maybe you want to talk to somebody. You want to pray with somebody. You need some, you need some counsel on how to respond to this message. Maybe for some, you need Jesus. For others, you need a church home that you can be a part of where you can, be, you can serve and you can, you can be encouraged and you can be involved in the local church. I believe in the local church. I was telling somebody the other day, maybe it was my wife, I don't know who it was, but I was telling somebody, I said, this concept of the universal church, oh, I'm committed to the universal church means you're committed to nothing. Nothing. God puts local churches for people to be involved in the local church. For some of you, you need a church home.
place where you can serve and be served. A place where you can encourage and be encouraged. A place where you can be a part of the body of Christ at the local church. Whatever God is leading you to do, we're going to invite you to come. Would you stand with me as the praise team comes to lead us in a closing song? Join with me as I lead us in a time of prayer.